0: Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show, getting in the Christmas spirit the week before Christmas. And here is our host, Tom Dupree.
1: Yeah, this is our third hour, which sometimes we have a guest on and sometimes we don't. Today, you just got me.
0: And me. And you.
1: <laughs> what I want to talk about is a little, you know, when you get to be 66 years old and you've been in the same business for 44 years, Everything to you is history. Uh, Younger people, it's all into the future. Older people, it's history. 65 was sort of okay, but 66, now you really start thinking, well, I'm starting to go over the hill here. But I wanted to think a, a little and reminisce a little bit about times in the business and what really defined me in the business in the bond business was the um high interest rate times of the early 80s and i started in the business in 1978 i was working for my dad's firm dupree and company and i was i became a municipal bond salesman i called on banks and individuals and by 1979 and 80 it became obvious that interest rates were going to go a lot higher than where they were and had been and this created a lot of disruption in the bond markets because when interest rates go higher bond prices drop there's a direct inverse relationship between higher interest rates that is bond interest rates not what the federal reserve does but what the market is doing and when you get higher bond interest rates you get lower bond prices so people that own bonds saw the prices of them fall that's uncomfortable if you've had this bond that's uh, paying 6% and it's trading at par and has traded at par for some time. That's 100% of its value. And then one day you look at your statement and it's trading for 60% of its value because the 6% is no longer sufficient to draw investors in that current market environment. Now you have to discount the bond to a new buyer which would increase its yield. So as a salesman, young guy, which I was all of a sudden it's like, wow, I've got something to call people. The problem with being a salesman is that you don't always have something to call people about. You don't have a deal to discuss. And I, we're not salespeople now at Dupree Financial Group. We're more consultants for retired people and those soon to retire. But back then, I was a salesman. And that's everybody else was too, because you really didn't have what we do today in the securities business. Not very much. There were a few money management firms, but not many. So you called people and sold them bonds. And bonds got to where they were yielding 10%. And the other thing about it is when a bond was a high-yield bond, typically your trader, if you were at a municipal bond firm, could buy it at a good price, and he put a lot of sales credit in there. That's commission. And, gosh, I used to have the best time – selling bonds when interest rates were high because I got paid quite a bit and the clients loved it. I mean, who wouldn't love a 10% tax-free yield? Now, you can tell that based on my experience in the early 80s, when rates got down around 2% or 1%, I didn't think things were a very good deal because I had seen better in my career and I knew rates could get a lot higher today. When we see what rates have backed up to versus where they were, I get excited again, especially for certain types of securities But I want to describe a little bit about the character that was at the Federal Reserve in the early 80s. His name was Paul Volcker. Paul Volcker came from, I think, the University of Chicago. And he had been trained in what's called the monetarist tradition. Milton Friedman, that crowd. He believed that if you made the money supply tight through interest rate increases, you would uh, ultimately do away with inflation, bring down uh, the cost of living, and and essentially help people. And he took the market by surprise because – his conviction at raising interest rates and effectively cutting bond prices, they didn't think he was as uh, committed to doing this as he turned out to be. We went through a long period of pain and suffering in the early 80s. Many firms went out of business If you look at a list of firms, investment firms, involved in an underwriting from 40 years ago, 45 years ago, they used to do what was called a tombstone ad, which meant they would state what the deal was, and then they would put all the underwriting firms down at the bottom of the ad. Sometimes there might be 30 or 40 of them. If you looked at one of those old tombstone ads today, you would barely remember, or, uh, recall or know any of the firms on that list. Out of 40, there might be two names that you can recall. I'm sure Merrill Lynch would have been around then. They're still around now. Morgan Stanley, that's another one. But most of the other firms today are gone.
0: And some of them are gone because they've merged with other firms. Correct. Not necessarily closed their doors.
1: <clears throat> but in a sense, they did. There used to be a firm called Kidder Peabody. Kidder Peabody was an old, old school New York firm. They called it a white shoe firm because the partners used to come to the office wearing white shoes, meaning that they were headed straight from work out to the country club. They were, uh, and probably wearing one of those straw bowler hats. Kidder Peabody was a white shoe firm, or at least it had been by the time they interviewed me. Uh, it was run pretty much by Irish and Italian guys who were definitely not your country club types, but, These guys were were good. They were a good firm. They got in huge trouble. This trader lost them a bunch of money and they had to merge with Payne Webber during these times of great stress in the financial markets. The trader basically bought a bunch of bonds into inventory, didn't tell anybody he had them and took a huge loss and caused the firm to basically go under. Um but through those years through those years most people thought interest rates are going to stay high and inflation is going to stay high forever it didn't and the best thing you could have done at that time was to buy things like the S&P 500 the Dow Jones Long-term bonds, as long a term as you could get. Those were the things to buy. Those were the things that made people money. Are we in that same sort of period right now? In some ways, I believe that we are. But rather than try to give you any chapter and verse on why I believe that, I'll just continue to tell you, My story, Um, there was a guy named Ed Kirshner. I, uh, I ended up working at a firm called Payne Weber, and they had an analyst named Ed Kirshner. And when government bonds were around 10%, he predicted that by the year 2000, the 10-year Treasury bond would have dropped to 6%. Well, that sounded so low at the time that a lot of people thought he was crazy. How can he predict that we're going to get down to 6% on the U.S. Treasury bond? Well, of course we got to that low and significantly lower because high interest rates beget low interest rates. High oil prices beget low oil prices. High price of anything begets a low price. That has been, if I've not learned anything else in the securities business, I've learned that over the years. What are the most interesting industries I've ever studied? Well, I'm going to tell you, to me, the most fascinating industry, that I've ever studied is the oil industry, the energy industry. And the reason why it's so fascinating is what it takes to find energy, transport it, and refine it so that it can be used. Those three steps are all very fascinating. Drilling for oil, getting oil and natural gas out of the earth is an incredibly uh, elaborate process that has lots of steps to it. Then, once you have gotten the energy, transporting it, getting it from point A to point B, using pipelines, in some cases, trucking, things like that. That is also a very involved process. And finally, refining the energy, actually taking it and making it into usable form. That has several steps if you've ever been past a refinery, a place where they're actually refining oil, uh, you see these towers and it's because they heat the, the energy up to a certain level. And then it falls down through the towers, through the pipes they have. And depending upon what it is, it goes to a higher level. Those are called the, uh, cracking towers. So, what I would simply say is that that business has has come under tremendous assault in the past and it came under huge assault in 2014 when everybody and his brother was in the business because oil had gotten so expensive close to $150 a barrel and the the market for oil began to slip. And when that happened, many of the independent producers that were hanging on by a thread went bankrupt, could not function anymore, had to get out of the business. And so it left in the business, the people that really deserve to be there. And they, they've just gotten richer. they, They are just more qualified now than ever uh, to do business. Their spreads have gotten better. That's why we like energy. Is it a moonshot? No, not necessarily, but they're making money hand over fist. Second thing, what fascinates me about this business I'm in? What, What really fascinates me? Interest rates. What are interest rates? Interest rates are they are the rental cost of money. If you if you have a thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, and you would like to rent it out to somebody so that they can use it, then pay you back. You will charge them a rate of interest. It's fascinating how sophisticated the market is at figuring out what interest rate what person or entity should pay. The market judges credit risks in a very detailed and elaborate way, but it's not always written out. Sometimes it's just something that people understand and know. But interest rates are the true Cost of money of of having money of borrowing money. They tell you what you can earn on your money. One of the things we've seen in the last year is that the interest rate on short-term bonds has gone from zero to four percent and higher. That interest rate is 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 uh, decided by. the prevailing forces in the market that would have to do with supply of money versus demand for money. When the demand for money becomes greater than the supply, the rate of interest goes higher. You see people willing to pay more. And sometimes it'll get so high that they say, you know, I'm not going to borrow any more money. That's when you begin to see, interest rates start to come down.
0: It's been a while since you've done one of these kind of tutorial uh, segments, and it really, I as I've mentioned, I am not licensed. I'm not. I'm just the marketing side of things. And it is – So I, st- I have been taking notes myself because – As much as I've heard some of this stuff, it really helps to break it down. Something as simple as interest rates or the rental cost of money. It sounds really simple, but the system is very, very complex.
1: And it has a way of grading. It grades risks and sets prices the way you and I would say judge people. This guy's this way. This guy's this way. You have a, a, a mechanism in your mind that's constantly judging risk. Uh, when you walk into a room, you know, you say, is this guy going to is this guy gonna hurt me? Is he going to come over and hit me? Is this person going to be nice to me? That's the that – those are the sort of steps that the interest rate market goes through in lenders – judging the strength of borrowers.
0: Well, and the regulations have changed so much too and that complicates the sort of the holistic part of the market also. The regulations A little bit. Not yeah. not
1: ultimately not com- not enough to change the way the whole thing works. That's just added see the 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 interest rate includes a calculation for those kinds of risks. They price it in. They price everything in.
0: Well, and it also makes it harder to do business sometimes based on the regulations getting in the way. So, I just just saying.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: You want me to hit some music and get us on out of here for this?
1: No, I want to stay for another 50 minutes.
0: Well, you do have another 22. So, you're going to have to stick around for that. And we hope our listeners will stick around, too. I know there'll be more insight and um, interesting topics in the next segment. So please stay tuned. You're listening to the Tom Dupree show powered by Dupree financial group. You can always go to our website, Dupree and click on the radio tab. If you'd like to take another listen to uh, this segment, we'll be back in just a few minutes with more. Stay tuned.
1: Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. Good investing is hard work. At Dupree Financial Group, we do a significant amount of research on the companies in which we invest. Our research can be correct, but we don't control the markets. We may not be rewarded with success if the markets don't cooperate. Since we don't know if our investments are going to go up, what can we do that may offset that? The answer is buy things that pay dividends. If the investment pays you an income while you wait for it to rise in value, it offsets some of your risk. Give us a call at Dupree Financial Group. We'll review your retirement investment portfolio at no cost to you and make recommendations about how you might invest in today's market conditions. Listen to the Tom Depree Show podcast at DupreeFinancial.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859 859- 233-0400.
0: Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Tom's flying solo today. I'm still at the controls, though. And we're sending us into Christmas week with Take, si- take Six. Is that what it's called? Tom? Yeah. A group. So over to you, Tom. It's your show. Take it away.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about my career. One of the things that. So when you're. In this business, if you want to get good at the business, you got to listen to the people that are good at the business. And they're typically not in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm just going to let you know. They're in New York. They're places away from here. That's where the real rich intellectual ferment in this business goes on. Then you learn that stuff, and you have to try to communicate it to people say in Lexington, Kentucky, where the whole investment world, you don't see it except mainly in salespeople. There aren't a lot of big time economists and investment analysts and people following companies and publishing research and that sort of thing in this town. So, what you find yourself doing is you're like a translator. You're translating one language to another language. You're translating the language of economics and business and markets and averages and volatility and alpha and beta. Those things all mean something in the investment world to the average person walking around on the street in Lexington, Kentucky. They don't mean anything. What I found was my best thing to do it. The best way to do it that I've ever found in my life was radio because I wasn't a real good cold caller. I I'd, I could do it, and I did cold call a lot of people, got some clients that way. But I wasn't gonna last as that, and it didn't have the reach. And a lot of people didn't want to listen to you for an hour, you know, which I didn't always want to talk for an hour. So the radio has enabled uh, me and and us to be able to talk about what we see to be important things regarding investment ideas. Well, first of all, you got to understand, I was not a business major. I was an English major. So I had to learn to speak the language myself of the big-time investment folks who are publishing research and doing things and then absorb that And try to translate it to my clients and some of whom really didn't want to know the details.
0: You are a third generation in the investment business though, so you grew up around it too.
1: Doesn't mean anything. Your dad can't tell you how to do the business. I think some
0: I think you absorb a lot of it. Well, you do around the dinner table. You observe
1: a lot of the emotional aspects of it. But as far well, and some of the intellectual ones too but you you know what it feels like to be in that kind of household, but you have to go out and make your own um, place in the business. That's why somebody can't inherit an investment business and really be effective at it without having had to support themselves in the business independent of their inheritance at some point because then they understand what it is. So this is not like my daddy left me a farm or something. You know, and I just inherited the farm or a car rental business. The investment business has so many moving parts. It's so difficult to understand that it's very tough to do it by inheritance. It has been done, it is being done, but it's 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 a lot tougher than any other business. And your repertoire is what you've learned. And how you how well you can communicate it. Now let's think of some sort of a all right, let's let's talk about an option. What is an option? I don't do options, so I can – I'm not trying to sell you anything when you hear this. I'm simply telling you how it works. But the idea of options is completely embedded in the securities industry. But if I'm describing an option that is sold on the exchange, that gives you the right to either buy a security – bond or a stock at a certain price for a certain length of time or sell a security bond or stock to someone at a certain price for a certain length of time. The options are divided into two different categories. One is called puts. The other one are called calls. The puts are the ones that give you the option to sell that security at a certain price for any certain length of time. So a put would be something you would buy if you thought the stock was going to go down. The flip side is a call enables you to buy that security from someone for a certain length of time, gives you the right to call that security. And you would buy it if you thought things were going to go up in value. Now, explaining those things to the average person who's never really understood it is a tall task. But that's what we do in this business. We, if, we're, if we're doing our job correctly, we're explaining securities concepts to people in ways that they're not going to be able to hear elsewhere. Elsewhere. What are the effects of inflation on your investment portfolio? Well, inflation is something that results from the currency being debased. That is, too much of it being printed, which crowds out other currency that's already been around. That's cash, dollars, if you will. And since there become to be more amounts of cash chasing fewer goods or services, the price of those things goes up because there's so much money trying to pour into them. And that's where you get inflation. Now, what does inflation mean to you as an investor? Well, it's been talked about quite a bit, but one of the things we've said is that the only reason to own an investment is so that your cash will either stay the same or increase in purchasing power in the face of inflation inflation is constantly taking away the trading value of your of your cash if you just set your cash in a checking account, the inflation will ravage it over time. It will mean that it can't buy as much as it used to be able to buy. And if you leave it in there long enough, it won't buy anywhere near what it used to be able to buy. So in order for that cash to just stay even in terms of purchasing power, You've got to invest it in something. This is, you would think, for most people, would be common sense. But that's where you're overestimating the common sense of most people. They, A lot of people think, well, that cash is there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, it is. About 7% of it is getting up and walking out the door every year. Because what's happening is, is inflation is slowly taking away from the value of the cash. Now, how do you invest in something you're in money in something that will not only keep up with but maybe even outpace inflation? Maybe make more money in the on the investment than inflation is taken away from you. Well. You want to invest in something that can raise its prices regardless of what happens in the market so that it can stay it can make more money when inflation goes up by raising its prices. All right, Elizabeth, tell me something that's like that. Well, you've given me this
0: very same lecture of the cash versus Inflation versus you're losing money by staying in cash.
1: I know, but tell me
0: something
1: that can raise its pri- a product or a service that can raise its prices and get away with it when inflation's going up.
0: Well, the first thing that pops into my mind for a pain point is gasoline.
1: Okay, but would you believe that gasoline hasn't anywhere near Kept up out, with the out, rate of inflation. Kept up with the rate of inflation since nineteen seventy three,
0: seventy-four. Oh, I believe that. What what would be that like guesstimate on the actual number with that?
1: I don't know, but it's nowhere near high the I'll give you one that I think can keep up with inflation. Candy. <laughs> I was in <laughs> have you ever priced a box of C's candy? No well, oh, like this size box, $70. I mean, it is expensive. It's great candy, but they have continued to raise the price with the rate of inflation. That's just one thing.
0: Oh, I've got one that I that I just, it was a real world experience the other day. So in 2019 and, and years before that, I love to buy the, Starbucks refillable cup for the month of January when they first introduced this cup and I don't know if it was 15 16 17 I think the first year it was 20 dollars the second year and third year and maybe fourth year it was $30, $30, and then the year after that, it went up to 40 Well, I was so excited, and they used to just sell out. I mean, you had to be there almost when they put them out because it, it just it was a good deal, and the cups were nice. So the other day, I was in Starbucks, and I saw the cups. They didn't have them in 2020 20 or 21, so I'm really excited. So I pick it up, and I look at it. it feels so nice, and it's pretty and all this and i just had an instinct i looked at the bottom 64 dollars
1: how much did it used to be
0: 20 to start 30 the next and then it went up to yeah. 40 so it went from 40 to 64 in 2 years and the answer to my shock from the barista was well cost of coffee's gone up i thought 20 it's gone up $24 in 2 years?
1: Well, that's inflation. That's that's you can't
0: It it has it is it infl- has inflation affected coffee $24 in that period of time?
1: I mean, yeah, it obviously has because are people buying those cups at that price?
0: Well, they were lined there were about six of them on the counter. What so did you I, do? I walked away.
1: There you go. Now that's Now, that's important, and I'm going to tell you why. That's the stopping point. That is when people start saying no. When people start saying no, you have an end to inflation.
0: Well, with that situation, if you do the math, you would have to go every day for 23 days to break even. Every single day for 23 days to break even. And the other part of that equation. It's only
1: for coffee, not a latte or anything like that. No,
0: it's coffee or tea. And it's, I think it used to be you got one a day and then they went to, you could have one refill or something. I don't know how they monitor that, but that's not even the point. The other point is a lot of people bought those for gifts. And the price point for a gift at $20, $30, $40 is very different than the price point for a gift at 64
1: Right. Way so different. it eliminates. But it's not as the same as it was because of inflation. Now everything's moved up. So now what used to be a $50 gift is now a $75 gift.
0: Do you think it's gone up by a third?
1: Well, obviously, look at what the price was. Well,
0: for that, I'm not saying across the board. Why
1: would that be so high? Coffee costs? Probably. You know, I know that the, the thing about inflation, inflation for everything is different. What are the supply costs of actually making that product? All the input costs, everything. That's well, I
0: think probably the the cost of the wage cost
1: is is. It's a not signal. wages, honey. It, it no, they haven't gone up as much of it as inflation. They really haven't. Let me tell you something. I'm gonna be real honest with you. Please do. Honesty
0: um, is always appreciated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Some of it is just seeing what you can get away with there. I don't care. I'm not a Joe Biden type going out and blaming everybody for price gouging, but it happens
2: Well, what because they want to
1: see if they can get that price. But then, you know, when they figure out they can't sell anything at that price, they bring it down. And I think we're getting to that point in the economy where things are going to start coming back. I don't know when, and I think when you see that, you'll also see lower interest rates. That's why we're advising our clients to be in longer-term bond positions because, and I'll go through the thing with you. Just give us a call, 859-233-0400, especially if you're in bond funds.
0: Well, I've got a
1: solution for you on that.
0: If you want guidance on on your portfolio or just another set of eyes, it doesn't. And even... we'll
1: even throw in marriage counseling. Oh my
0: gosh! Well, just speak for, speak for yourself.
1: It's a joke.
0: That would that from what my I've learned from what I've learned to be from being married to you, it would be there would be a cost to that. <laughs> it wouldn't be for. I'm kidding. No,
1: it's but seriously, come see us and we're going to show you ways that I think you can lengthen your duration, take advantage of what I think are going to be lower interest rates in a year or so and lock in your yields and increase your dividends on whatever it is you've got invested. Some people don't care that it's all. I just take money out of my account. Well, do you realize you might be depleting your account if the dividends are not high enough on it? To offset what you're taking out, so
0: well, and the other says, hopefully, you'll have a nice long life so that you'll need your money to last right, and that's longer than longer that's exactly than you expect. Why we're talking about all this? Because uh, the the length of life is growing for
1: yeah, people are living longer,
0: and we when you want that, that's a good thing. Uh, that's true. If you talk to Missy though, she'll
1: she's got she's view. got
0: other numbers of. Longevity, uh, but that's that's uh, that was covered in the first hour,
1: exactly right.
0: Well, we are ending this hour and we're gonna take it on out with some more of this Christmas music that Tom has found. I don't know where you found this, but it's kind of a snazzy little song. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree show, Tom Dupree's been flying solo today giving a little historical insight from his 40, how many years is it now, Tom? A lot. 44 years in the investment business. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call, 859 If you'd like to send Tom an email and ask him a question or uh, your own insight, 85, all right, that's that's the phone number again. tdupree at dupreefinancial.com. We are ready to get on out of here and start this Christmas week. We will talk to you next week.